Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. No Andrew this week. Um, Pam, what did we cancel him for this time? Just, you know, being a man. The <laughs> huge. <laughs> well, that's perfect because we definitely have a female-centric show planned for this week. Before we dive into our first story, though, we wanted to give a quick acknowledgement of something that's really important news that everyone should be paying attention to. On Friday night, a Texas federal judge invalidated the FDA's approval of mifepristone. I always say this wrong. Um, But for anyone who doesn't know, that is one of the two pills that make up um, the abortion pill, the medical abortion process. Less than an hour after that, because we can't go without drama in this country, a federal judge in Washington state issued a ruling saying that the FDA should do nothing to restrict the pill's access in states where abortion has remained legal. And ultimately, we could have a whole episode talking about this, the ins and outs of it, the possibilities, you know, how this is ultimately going to go to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals before it goes to the Supreme Court. But the TLDR is that this is very likely going to go to the Supreme Court, the same Supreme Court that overruled Roe v. Wade just last year. So this is unsettling news and um, it's very disquieting. But I would say for those of us who saw what the court did last year um, and were against it, it's not surprising that we find ourselves here. Yeah, I think that everybody that was being reasonable and pragmatic about, you know, having a more conservative court saw the writing on the wall for sure. And especially after the Roe versus Wade overturning, it just kind of felt like it was only a matter of time before other issues got brought in. And I know that you specifically talked about that as well, is that the first step was putting abortion back into the hands of the state and that eventually it was going to become a domino effect to slowly take away more and more reproductive health rights for women. So it's not anything surprising, but it is disheartening. It really is. And at the end of the day, it will be poor people, disadvantaged people, and people of color who suffer the most as the result 
of attempts like this to roll back civil rights and uh, reproductive liberties. So watch this space. We're definitely going to keep an eye on it. This is not something that is going to be a quick process as legal proceedings never are. But turning now to a lighter topic to get us started Mm -hmm. on our girls only episode of Millennial, Pam, let's talk about Barbie. Yes, we're both really excited to talk about Barbie, specifically as a result of the new trailer for the Barbie movie, which came out last week. It really kind of took the internet by storm, and rightly so, because it's just pitch perfect as a trailer goes. So we wanted to talk about a few aspects with regards to this topic, which is very near and dear to Laura's and my heart as Barbie, you know, havers players when we were younger but to kick things off what did you think about the trailer in general I loved it I thought it looked so funny so tongue-in-cheek but also well-written well-acted star-studded cast and Mm -hmm. it seems like it will be the perfect representation of an iconic toy that was a huge part of everyone's childhoods, right? I know there's deeper lore to Barbie, and I think we're going to talk about that maybe a little bit later, because there have been a number of Barbie movies over the years. Um, I don't think any of them were uh, released in theaters, or maybe not all of them were. Um, So there are going to be some people who have maybe a deeper frame of reference for the significance of this moment than others. But I think ultimately, as a 90s kid, I'm real fucking pleased <laughs> with yeah. how it looks. Yeah, it is really fun that you can definitely tell that Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, who are spearheading this project, really understand the source material, even down to you know bringing in some uh, key players as far as just the toys go, like Midge and Alan, that were actually Barbie's you know, or Barbie uh, licensed toys, personas in past years. There's just, uh, you know, like the le- the level of depth that they really kind of went to to kind of make this something that would be fun for probably like people in multiple generations. Because Barbie, um, you know, like the timeline of Barbie spans even longer than we've been alive. So I'm sure that, you know, maybe if our moms were watching this trailer, they might pick up on some stuff that we didn't even see as, you know, kids that were playing with Barbies in the 90s, like you said. Yeah, and I will say um, our social media manager, Chloe, is a big Barbie aficionado and is one of the people who has a really deep frame of reference for the entire cultural significance of Barbie She's not on this week, but we are planning on having her on after the movie comes out and after we've all seen it so that we can chat about it with her and get her take. So in addition to the trailer, which dropped on Tuesday, the Barbie movie also dropped new character posters for every single person that's in this film, which was really fun to see because the original teaser was really abstract. I don't know if you remember that one. They kind of had like the Dawn of Man thing. And that was really clever, too. Um, But it was just really fun to kind of see, 
like what everybody was going to look like in their costumes and also to get a little bit more of information as to like who the characters were going to be um like some of the uh barbies that we're going to be introduced to in the movie are presidents diplomats uh, movie stars mermaids and probably the thing that's getting the most headline about these posters is that barbie is everything and ken is just ken which is really hilarious so what did you think about that? Because that's been a point of discussion a lot over the course of the last week, too. I mean, isn't that the way it's always been? Hasn't Ken always just been Ken? Yeah, he's, he's an accessory. Yeah, he is an accessory to Barbie and her larger set of friends. Um, I never got the impression that we were supposed to be impressed with Ken um, or that anything was supposed to be Ken centric. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this is just men being butthurt that for once they aren't the center of the universe in a franchise. Yeah. I mean, like open a textbook and it's always, you know, men and then women are the afterthought. And this is probably one of the first times where, you know, they're really kind of going tongue in cheek with this, where like women are at the center of everything in this universe. And, you know, it's clearly uh, bruising some very sensitive male egos. Uh, there was a treat tweet that's since been deleted and probably because they got so much backlash that read why are all the men just ken and the women are doctors and presidents and i think that a good response that really kind of encompasses the general response to this comes from twitter user amanda smith says who tweeted i saw a tweet thread where men were complaining about why is Barbie everything, but he's just Ken. And as someone replied, you don't know the lore. I realized, oh my God, that's why I love it. This is the first time a movie has lore I know from my childhood. And, you know, to get kind of back to the original point that we started with, I think that that's probably why this trailer struck a chord with so many people all over the world. Because, you know, it's kind of funny. I think that you like, you play with toys and you experience pop culture in the insular bubble that is like your home, maybe your family and and maybe extended family or your friends. But you don't ever think about how, you know, like, for example, I grew up in California. Laura grew up in the South and different states in the South. And it's just kind of interesting to think about how we could have been playing with Barbies at the same time, not knowing each other, but then have been acting out the same storylines with our yeah. Barbie toys and with our friends, you know? It is a very universal experience. It totally is. So let's uh, talk a little bit about Barbie lore for a second, because, um, you know, well, as Laura pointed out, there are Barbie movies that have come out. I know I had some Barbie um, computer games, too. That were like playthroughs when I was growing up. There's Barbie books. Uh, so some of that lore is written down. But I think what makes this trailer great is that a lot of the lore that they do include is more just common knowledge about Barbie that anyone who's played with the toys kind of knows to be universally true. Um one of my favorite parts in the trailer is when Ken says that he thinks that he should sleep over because they're boyfriend and girlfriend. And then Barbie's like, to do what? Laura <laughs> and I were both kind of like laughing because we were thinking about how when we were younger and we used to play with Barbies, like we knew that Ken and Barbie were supposed to like sleep in the same house, but 
other than that, you know, at six years old, you maybe don't know like what they're supposed to be doing in there. So that was pretty fun. Yeah. And do we want to, um, do we want to jump ahead and talk about Barbie sexy time stories or do we want to hold that for a minute? Ooh, I don't know. What do you think? It probably um, fits in here if we want to yeah. keep, keep going with that. Yeah. And, and we can definitely kind of pop back to talk about, you know, more lore, but then also um, some of the other things the trailer pays homage to. I think we all, when we were playing with Barbies, I think all of our Barbies had sex. (laughs) Yeah, to some degree. (laughs) I think to some degree, um, to the extent that we understood sex as, you know, uh, little kids, we understood that there had to be some kind of thing that they did when they were naked. in order to have babies. Um, I remember distinctly one time me and a couple of my friends were playing with Barbies and we realized they were at a phase in their story where we wanted them to get pregnant and have babies. Um, so we were like, well, okay, they have to have sex, but like, we didn't know anything about sex. So our answer to that was we had the Barbies be naked and we had them lay on top of each other. And then we left. We left the room to give them privacy. <laughs> and my favorite part is this. We're sitting there talking. We're like, how long should we leave them? Like, how long does it take? And so we decided, well, an hour probably sounds about <laughs> right. Talk about setting yourself up for disappointment later in life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. I just... I just thought that shit was so funny. Um, You're like, I could have left for five minutes. Like We could have been right back in gameplay. Right? I know. <laughs> to give him a whole hour. I know. We we definitely gave Ken a lot more credit. Yeah. <laughs> probably than he deserved. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that we ever got that. Tech- me and my friends never got that technical with like how long we should leave them. It was always just like, OK, that's enough. Let's just keep going. Um, but I, I do remember that we would, you know, kind of get really creative because like you didn't always have like all of the Barbie accessories. So it was always like, oh, like, what can we use for a makeshift blanket? Let's just put them in this sock, you know, and it's kind of like a sleeping bag, which is kind of like a blanket. And, uh, yeah, but it was definitely like, you got to take all the clothes off and like put them in the bed together. And, um, there's always, I feel like there's always like one kid in the friend group that just like knows more because, you know, maybe they have older siblings or what have you. And that's always the person that's like, well, we, they have to like go to bed. Yeah. (laughs) So what other like Barbie storylines did you use to like play out with your friends? Um, definitely Barbie goes to college. Mm. That was one that we would do. Um, But something that I remembered when we were planning for this discussion, and I didn't tell y'all during the planning, I actually never owned a Ken doll. I never had one. I always wanted Barbie. So anytime Mm -hmm. I was buying Barbies, I just bought Barbie. Um, So anytime we wanted to play out a storyline that involved Ken dolls, my friends had to bring their Ken dolls. And it was just funny because looking back on it, I really just wanted to use Barbie to sort of act out things that I was interested in. So in a way, I was kind of projecting myself onto her. Like she was Mm. a representation of the things that I wanted to 
say and do when I was older. Is that the same for you, Pam? Yeah, I think so. Because it's like, you know, it's all make-believe. So if you want to be a doctor, you get to be a doctor. And I think that, you know, um, I think one of the interesting conversations that was kind of being had in the 90s and in the early 2000s was that Barbie was not a good toy for little girls because it she showcases unrealistic beauty standards. And I do think that um, that is not an inaccurate statement to make. You know, the way that she is modeled is meant to be like the perfect woman, even though if you were to blow Barbie up, the proportions would be insane, right? Um, And I do think that a lot of the toys maybe in like the early 90s in regards to Barbie or the different varieties of Barbie were maybe geared more towards uh, fashion industry stuff. But as you get later into the 90s, and this also makes sense because the 90s is when you saw more women entering the workforce, you started to see more... um, sides to Barbie. So you had Barbie doctors, you had Barbie veterinarians, you had Barbie, um, you know, like gymnasts, uh, gymnasts, like any kind of sports you could imagine. And now I think that it's really kind of great to see Mattel lean into this um, mission statement that she can be anything that she wants to be. And some of these commercials that feature little girls playing with Barbies, like literally just bring a tear to my eyes because I don't, I don't think like little girls ever needed to be told to your point that like playing with Barbie could serve as like wish fulfillment in terms of like dreaming of your future life. But now the difference is, is that, you know, like those versions of Barbie exist on the main stage and we don't have to like figure out how to dress her like an astronaut based on like what we have at home, you know? Right. Although those are some really fun memories, mm-hmm. I have to say. Yeah, you get creative. You make yeah. like, you know, like I, I think like we used to use like a lot um, old like tissue boxes and we would like turn them into like cars if we couldn't find like the Barbie oh, car. Man. Like we didn't have we the Barbie car. Too. Yeah. I remember cutting out like off construction paper uh, mm-hmm. wheels to paste on the Kleenex box. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> and like make a little steering wheel out of it. Cause yeah, I also never had any of the accessories really. Like there mm-hmm. was the Barbie house you could get. There were cars, there were all kinds of like cosmetic and, and random other little accessories. And I just, it wasn't that my parents wouldn't have gotten them for me. I just never gravitated towards them very much I was more interested in in the doll that was the Mm -hmm. big thing yeah and to get back to your point about not owning Ken one of the things that I wanted to talk about was the Barbie to Ken ratio because I think like most little (laughs) girls probably mostly had Barbie dolls I think I had maybe like one or two Kens but sometimes you know, Ken would go missing. And so you would just use whatever you could find. We both had little brothers. My mom was always telling me and my cousins that we had to include Sergio, you know, so even though we were playing with, and I I give her some credit, a lot of credit for this, actually, because she never like 
thought to say like, oh, you can you should include your brother, but like don't let him play dolls. She was just like, just include him in whatever game that you're playing. So he would come over and we wouldn't have a Ken. So we would be like, well, I guess you could like bring your action figures, like bring your Power Ranger and he can be like Barbie's boyfriend, you know. So here he would come with like his Power Rangers or, you know, whatever it was. And that was what we would use in in placement of, of Ken if we didn't have Ken's. That is really funny. I don't think I ever did that. I think my brother is maybe, I think our age gap is maybe a little bigger. Hmm. How much of a difference in age? We're about three years. Okay. Me and Josh are five years. Okay. So at sort of the prime, like opportune time that I was playing with Barbies, Josh wasn't really old enough to be involved in those games. Although Mm -hmm. I will say, and this is a complete tangent. I don't know if I've ever talked about this. Uh, As a child, uh, me and my brother were attacked by ostriches at a petting zoo. Oh, my God. It was one of those drive-through petting zoos where you would, like, roll down the windows and the animals would come up and you would feed them. Um, Well, these fucking ostriches, and I'm not advocating violence against any living creatures here, um, but these damn things shot their heads like into the back windows of the car and like their long ass necks were in there and they were like pecking at us. We were like melting into the seats trying to get as low as we could to get away from these fucking ostriches. I still see the the visual clear as day of this ostrich just in front of my face, like clocking its beak in my face trying to get food. Scared the shit out of me. Later that night, we got home. I'm still salty about it. I'm pissed about it. My brother takes a couple of my Barbies, takes one of his oversized, like, Hot Wheels cars, not the little tiny ones that Mm -hmm. ran on the tracks, but one of the model ones, puts the Barbies in there, gets my ostrich beanie baby, (laughs) and reenacts the whole thing. No. Yeah. And I was I was still traumatized. So I was like, fuck you, Josh. Not really. But that's how I felt. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just it's another representation of how kids process trauma, their day to day and and trauma (laughs) being attacked by a farm animal. Yeah, (laughs) that's pretty funny. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I I wouldn't be able to give you as specific details as you just gave, which obviously makes sense since this was a a very big moment in your childhood. But I know that for sure, like my brothers used to steal, like, if not my dolls, then like my, my little sister's dolls too. And, you know, get up to all kinds of like weird hijinks, whether that be like blowing them up if they were playing like really violent war games or something or just like yeah. you know hiding them and stuff like that and um to get back to the movie a little bit i think that's why so many people were excited to see kate mckinnon's uh, movie poster for this movie because like everybody had a janky barbie that somebody had written all over like given a homemade haircut to i learned how to braid hair on barbie dolls too i don't know if you did but that's how my grandma taught me when I wanted to like learn how to braid hair she taught me on Barbies and stuff so yeah yeah I have vague recollections of that um I also learned how to do maybe a couple of other hairstyles like how to do a high ponytail right Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think I learned on a Barbie um but I definitely also 
cut a Barbie's hair and it looked like something that Sid from Toy Story might have had yeah. in his room by the time <laughs> I was done with it. You tried. <laughs> I did try. And that's all that matters, right? Yeah. <laughs> you had a note in here, too, about some nods to the classic seminal hit Barbie Girl by Aqua. Yeah. Yeah. The whole trailer starts out with, hi, Barbie. Hi, Ken. <laughs> yeah. And I, I saw that and I had to pause because I was cracking up. I heard a rumor that they actually aren't going to be including the song by Barbie Girl in the movie, which I feel like is such a crime, but I'm sure there's a good reason why it's a maybe huge they can miss. get the rights. Yeah. But how could you um, not I totally get the agree. rights to Barbie Girl for the Barbie movie? Yeah. Although it is a little bit more like that is one of those songs that when you're younger, you don't realize like how sexual it is. And so maybe that's part Very. of the reason why they decided not to do that. I remember when I got maybe a little bit older, like I was probably nine or I'm trying to think I was like nine or so when that song came out. And um, I came to the realization probably because one of my friends told me, you know, they probably had an older sibling who told them what it meant. And it felt like being in on this dirty conspiracy that you knew how dirty the Barbie girl song was as a kid. Well, to bring this all home, we wanted to also talk about a couple of other toys that we played with a lot when we were kids. I know we both shared Beanie Babies for sure. Beanie Babies were probably Mm -hmm. my other big love of the 90s. I will say I was super into Pokemon as well. Um, I had cards and I traded Mm -hmm. cards, Um, but I also had a lot of little Pokemon figurines and Um, I did Barbie Pokemon crossovers pretty frequently where I decided that my Barbie was going to be a Pokemon trainer. And so that's fun. (laughs) um, I would I would act out various scenarios involving her traveling around with little Pokemon figurines. That's really cute. Anything else for you? Um, definitely Pokemon as well. Um, American Girl was big too. I only own the one. Those dolls were really expensive. And like yeah, thinking they were. about like, yeah. So I had one American Girl doll that was like over the moon when I got her for Christmas. And I feel like that was like the graduation up from Barbie, which was is so funny because like Barbie is still a doll too. But for some reason, like American Girl dolls just like looked more sophisticated. So I think I like graduated up from like Barbie too to my American girl and like all of my friends had one too. So we would just have like sleepovers with our American girl dolls and yeah, it was fun educational. So, you know, my mom didn't mind uh, getting the books and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, And then I was also just like really into like, um, like arts and crafts too as a kid. So like anytime, like any, any kind of like cool, like drawing gadget that would come out, like that's what I would always want. Yeah. Oh man, you just reminded me of Lisa Frank. That oh, that's a big one. Like sticker was, collecting and stuff. All of my notebooks for school, all of my school supplies. Um gosh, what were those containers called? I'm forgetting the name of them, but they held all your pens and your scissors and oh, everything. Yeah, the like uh like the plastic ones, right? With the bumps on yeah. top. I had yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a purple one and a teal one. Mine was Lisa Frank. Oh, I love that. All the way through (laughs) elementary school. Um, 
I think my parents probably still have one of my old Lisa Frank notebooks that I used for art class. Mm. I'll have to see if I can find it and maybe share some of that content on Patreon. It would be so cute. It would. It was very cute. At least yeah. I recall it being cute. I always, I always went for the dolphin uh, designs. Yeah. Dolphins were big in the 90s. <laughs> they definitely were. I remember having a lot of kittens. Yeah. <laughs> on a lot of the or Lisa like, Frank like stuff baby I bought. leopards. Yes. And you yes. could get the um, little felt prints. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I did so many of those. Man, I, I don't feel like I came dressed appropriately for an episode that is so heavy on 90s nostalgia. You're like 90s grunge. Yeah. Well, that is apropos, I think. Mm-hmm. Foreshadowing to future Laura. I know. <laughs> I went I went from Lisa Frank to My Chemical Romance. I love that. Real quick. <laughs> um, any other toys or any other Barbie moments you want to touch think. on here? I don't think so. I think, honestly, like, I think that this whole conversation is a testament to the fact that that just Barbie is one of those iconic toys. Like, that's the, that one and, like, Beanie Babies are the big ones that I you know, remember most from early on in my childhood. Same. Fun stuff. Well, hope you guys are excited for the movie too. And we'll probably circle back to the Barbie movie when it comes out in July because it's a big one. So yeah, we definitely will. Like I mentioned, our social media manager, Chloe, is a wealth of information when it comes to any and all things Barbie. So we want to make sure to have her on for that discussion. So y'all will look forward to that, I'm sure. All right, we'll be getting into an AMA with myself and Pam here in a moment. But before that, we'll be right back after these messages. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, y'all, welcome back. So as promised on our Patreon, since it's just a girl's show today, Pam and I decided we wanted to do an AMA this week. And we made a couple of posts on our Patreon and in our Facebook group trying to get some questions from y'all. Got some really good questions. Got some spicy questions, too. The spicy questions we're going to hold on to for After Dark um, is a little bit of a teaser. But we can go ahead and get into some of the uh, the main show questions we've got here. So our first question comes from Amber, who says, do you have any big regrets? I feel like you and I have talked about this a lot before, so I won't dwell on it too much, but I probably, I, I probably would have just like gone to community college 
for the first two years because there's really no need to go and do your general education requirements at, you know, even a state school because it's still really pricey. So I would have saved myself some money and done that for sure. Yeah. On a similar note, I have thought about this a lot over the years. I think as I get older, I am coming to the conclusion that I regret going to grad school. Mm, it wasn't yeah, necessary for me. For you. Yeah, it wasn't necessary for me and what, you know, I ended up doing. Um, honestly, <laughs> it gave me a lot of anxiety and mental health mm. struggles at the time that I was going. So really wasn't worth it. And when I think about the debt, super wasn't worth it. So that that would probably be mine. Not to say that you shouldn't go to grad school. There are plenty of good reasons to go. Um, but my reasons for going really weren't the best, I would say. If I could do that again, I probably wouldn't go or at least wouldn't go where I went. Super valid. Uh, do you want to grab the next question? Pam? Yeah. Do you just want to go back and forth? Yeah. Okay, cool. So Arena asks, what is your favorite makeup brand? And she she's a two-parter, so we'll start there and then we'll move on to the second part. Um, I really like Rare Beauty right now. That's a big one for me. And um, I will always go back probably to Charlotte Tilbury for lipsticks and lip liners. They're a little bit pricier, but the wear for me especially is kind of worth it. And like one tube lasts a really long time. So I kind of have like my two go-to colors that I really like from her line. And I just like keep repurchasing. I've been wearing like those those same two colors for probably going on like six or seven years now. So it's an investment for me, but it's a worth it one. And lately I've been really into ColourPop for foundation and that's great oh. for my wallet because it's a really good price point. Oh, that's good. What, what's the formula like? Cause I'm so, always on the market for a new foundation. Yeah. So I specifically really like the pretty fresh foundation, which my Ulta carries. Um, but if not, then, you know, their online store ships almost anywhere, everywhere now. And it is a bit of a dewy finish, but my skin has been really dry for a really long time. So I've been working on getting that under control. And despite having been a matte foundation girl exclusively for a really long time, I found that, you know, like a dewy or a demi matte finish is probably a lot better at masking that and also hydrating my face, <laughs> which is twofold. So there's a lot of like skincare makeup out there right now too. And I believe the pretty fresh foundation has hyaluronic acid in it. So that's really helpful in terms of retaining moisture. I love that. I have some new recommendations for Ooh, I, I need to check out. Um, so I'm a little bit of a kind of like you described, Pam. I have a, a few things that I like from a few different brands, but I'm not going to lie. I'm also a slut for makeup and I can be influenced really easily. So if you have, you know, a good brand reputation or great marketing and you inevitably end up in my Instagram or TikTok feeds, I'm probably going to buy it. Um, <laughs> I, I know. I, I'm, uh, I'm definitely, definitely a slut for that kind of thing. I ended up buying a ton of stuff from Rare Beauty after you recommended their lipstick. It's um, so nice. I oh love my God, that formula still. Oh, my God. It's so good. Mm -hmm. um, so I have 
the foundation. I have the bronzer sticks. I have blush. I bought some of Selena's brushes. Um, I have a couple of different lipsticks. And I really like um, everything that I've gotten from Rare Beauty. It's really good. I will say the foundation is, I think it skews more matte, Mm. which I like in the colder months, but not in the warm months. So I'm somebody who tends to switch my formula depending on the season. Um, I feel like I do a lot better with kind of like a, a dewier finish in the warmer months. So um, I've recently switched over to trying um, Ilya's um, skin tint formula, which I really like. Um, it's very much like a tinted moisturizer more than anything. Um, it's like melts into the skin. It's really nice. Um, I love the way it looks. Full disclosure, though, the smell when you first put it on is not the greatest. <laughs> so mm. I think it's it's a good product and I definitely recommend trying it. But when you first put it on and it's still kind of like wet, it smells weird, but that goes away once it dries. Okay. I might look into that because I was thinking about trying a skin tint and I've heard good things about the L'Oreal True Match skin tints if you're on a budget on your makeup mm-hmm. journey as well. I can't personally vouch for it, but I hear that it's a fantastic product. So yeah. I'm going to look into the Ilia one too, though. The Sephora sale is coming up, which is very dangerous. <laughs> I know. Can you tell that I'm already like whittling down site? your list? Yes, I know. me too. Oh, <laughs> God, I'm so susceptible to that form of capitalism. <laughs> Um, I also really like Glossier just mm-hmm. in general for skincare, natural makeup. Yeah. I love that brand. And then Arena's second question is, when you're Netflix and chilling, what's your favorite snack? Am I high or am I sober? This is a very <laughs> important question. <laughs> it definitely depends. Um, I'm definitely an ice cream girly. I always mm. like having some good ice cream when I'm settling in for a Netflix evening. Particularly, I like Jenny's. I don't know if y'all have that brand. I out did west. see. I, it's kind of, she has like a script cursive yeah. on the front, like in an arc, right? I saw it at the, um, at the fancy grocery store, not at like the regular grocery store. It's definitely, um, it's a splurge moment. You know, if mm. I'm, if I'm feeling fancy, I might get myself a pint of that. <laughs> What's your go-to ice cream flavor? Ooh. So my favorite ice cream flavor of all time is Cherry Garcia. I love the Cherry ben Garcia. It's so good. It's so It's classic. Mm-hmm. It's not too much, you know? Yeah. What about you? I love strawberry ice cream, like really good strawberry ice cream. That's my default. And, um, but I also do like Cherry Garcia. I like the way the chocolate melts in the Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia too. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes if you get, like, I can't do like a, you know, like a chocolate chip ice cream because sometimes the chocolate chips are a little too hard and then they feel really waxy on your teeth. And I just like, don't like that at all. But yeah, I'm just like a classic strawberry girl. Good to know. Yeah. And, um, I think that like, my go-to snack is usually just like popcorn. I have a little it's like a air choice. popper, like silicone air popper, and it makes popcorn super quick in the microwave. 
easy for sharing. Man, of course you're like, I want to have a snack that I can share with people. And I'm like, give me my pint of ice cream. (laughs) Get away. Well, it's like, it's like, listen, (laughs) if there are people over, even if they say they don't want a snack, they they always want a snack. So it's always good to like be prepared. And if I make a big ass thing of popcorn, it's usually because I know that somebody else is going to want some popcorn. (laughs) Yeah, fair. I will say my backup is Flamin' Hot Cheetos. I haven't had those in a while. Oh, I love flaming Hot Cheetos. And I might share them. Depending. <laughs> That's how you know it's true love with Laura. If she shares yeah. your, her flaming Hot Cheetos with you. <laughs> That's true. It's very true. Um, all right. Our next question comes from Marissa, who asks, are there any misogynistic experiences in the workplace when you were younger that you would address differently now? I can't think of an answer for this, honestly. Do you have one? Yeah, and I think I might have shared this on a previous episode when we got asked a similar question. Um, the the sh- long and the short of it is that I had someone tell me once that I was very motherly. That's right. You did work. say that. Yeah. And... Actually, I don't think I would have changed anything about how I handled it. I I was happy with how I handled it. Um, I was just like, you should stop talking now. (laughs) Good for you. And they very quickly shut their trap. So I'm okay with how I handled that. But I think that as we get older, we look back on experiences we had when we were younger and Maybe realized that somebody was using coded language when they talked to us mm-hmm. that was like gendered language or making certain gendered assumptions that maybe we didn't pick up on at the time. Yeah, definitely. Um, Marissa also wants to know, what's your drink of choice? Um, like alcoholic? I assume. Okay. <laughs> I um, assume. <laughs> mine's a vodka soda with lime, extra lime. Yeah, I... When I saw this one, the first thing that popped into my head, and you can tell you're chronically on TikTok, if this is the first thing you think of, I was like, a Negroni. Sagliato. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, mine's a gin and tonic. I love a good gin and tonic, too. So refreshing. Mm-hmm. It's perfect for summer, too. Vincent says, what is your best slash worst dating experience? Hmm. I don't remember if I've ever talked about this before. I went on a date with a guy. This has been a really long time ago. Um, and it, I, I realized um, probably halfway through the date that he knew about MuggleCast, which like... Oh, no. And he didn't disclose it beforehand? That's the problem. Like, I don't care that he knew about it. Obviously, mm-hmm. at the height of the Potter fandom, a lot of people knew about Muggle Cast. Like it's happened to me on more than one occasion where I would meet somebody and they would realize who I was from the show. And that's fine. I mean, it makes me feel weird, but that's not their fault. But the fact that he like knew about it before we went on the date and I didn't find out until we were on the date felt real fucking weird was not mm. pleased about that. We did not go on another date. That's my worst, probably. That's that's really, yeah. 
I think that my worst is we've talked about this before, but just people that monopolize a conversation and don't ask questions to you. They just like want to talk. But like the worst example of this that ever happened to me was I was working at a publication that was in a larger office and there were other publications that were also in this like big high rise building. And I started up this like kind of like flirty interaction situation with a guy that was working on the floor two door uh, two down from mine. And so he was also um, working, you know, like entry level at the publication that was two floors down. And we just like ran in each, into each other by happenstance once when the printer on our floor was like not working. And then, so then they sent me down to two floors down to use that printer. Anyway, a couple of weeks after that, he finally asked me out on a date. I'm so excited because, you know, I think he's really cute and we've had this cute little like flirting rapport going. And the entire time we were out, it was basically just like him wanting to boast about how hard it was to get the job that he got and, you know, how it was really important, the work that he was doing and just like boasting himself up. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, you know, that I'm also working in the same field that you're working in. Right. But like there was no, I don't know, there was like such a disconnect and I just kind of felt like the grandstanding wasn't for me. And the cherry on the cake was that the next day I did this like longer form interview with (laughs) this like actor man. And I just kind of felt like he paid more attention to me and asked me more questions about myself than the guy that I had gone on this date with, who was like supposedly actively trying to pursue like a romantic connection with me. And that was such a light bulb moment. And I just kind of like realized from that point on that, like any guy that I go out with, like I want him to behave like this random actor that I was never going to see again in my life who like just genuinely was paying attention to what I was saying and like genuinely asked me questions about myself. And I just remember like leaving that interview thinking like it's that easy and the bar is so low, but like, you know, it's an important thing to realize like where your bar is and like what bare minimum you deserve. And so that was like a big learning moment for me in my dating history. I really love that story. And you, you touch on something that I think is um, a marker of growth between say like your early twenties and your early thirties, mm-hmm. where you look back on some of what you accepted from people when you were much younger, because you just yeah. didn't know any better. Um, and now it's really easy to look back on those experiences and, you know, maybe question yourself and think, oh, God, why did I not get up and walk away Yeah, from that date? But you don't learn unless you go through it. Right. right? And it's funny that you mentioned that transition because I think I was about like 24 or 25 when that happened. And yeah, I guess I just like I didn't. And up until that point, it is kind of like sad when you realize it's not that I like hadn't dated decent dudes, but it was just like the first moment that it clicked, like the sheer contrast versus somebody that's just like dating 
but only interested in themselves and somebody that is like actually interested in, you know, being a decent human. Just one question. Like, ask me just one question about myself. <laughs> That's like a great start, you know? Seriously. Can I ask who the actor was that you interviewed after? Um, I'll tell you <laughs> off camera. Okay. <laughs> I'm really excited to hear about this. Okay. <laughs> um, and we, we can cover this quickly, but Vincent did also ask about best dating experience. Oh, best? Yeah, that stick out to you. Mm. You know what? It's anytime, um, like the person is planning the date and really makes an effort to do something that they know that all want to do. Yeah. I, I think that that goes a really long way. Like um, I had like mentioned in passing what in college I was, um, I met this guy in one of the poli sci classes I was taking for my minor. And we went out on a coffee date just to like see if we would click. And then on the third date he was like oh I remember at the coffee date that you mentioned that you really wanted to go to this museum exhibit like I I got tickets do you want to go and I thought that that was really sweet because it was something that I mentioned in passing and he remembered and made it a point to like you know do something nice so any any kind of like thoughtfulness like that goes a really long way in my book yeah, I agree. And also just, I mean, showing that he was paying attention again. Right, exactly. It, it goes back to the the give, you know, the give and take that there should be in a conversation yeah. and in paying attention to each other. Yeah. Also, he didn't I make me that. feel rushed at that exhibit, which also went a really long way in my book. Yeah. <laughs> I hate feeling rushed, like, especially if you're excited to go somewhere. I, I don't know. Usually I just go to museums yeah. alone because I don't want to, like, drag the group down. Some people yeah, just like no, to speed walk you. through, but yeah. I like to take my time mm-hmm. in those spaces. I'll usually take longer in an exhibit than the estimated time for it, just because when I'm in a space like that, I'm not trying to rush, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Cassandra says, what are y'all's favorite clothing brands? I'm a plus-size lady and have not really found clothing that makes me comfortable and confident. This is so hard. It is really hard. I think that you're finding yourself among kindred spirits here on the panel, because um, this is something Pam and I have both talked about multiple times over the course of our time in the show. I will say, when I was younger, I was definitely super loyal to Torrid. That <laughs> was pretty mm. much the only place that I shopped. And I think Torrid's great. I will say as I get older, I I feel a little too old <laughs> for especially some of the graphic tees they have. So what I've been doing in recent history is Stitch Fix. Um, because honestly, oh, yeah. you can you can give them your style preferences, your sizes for everything, and they'll send you a box of like four to five items that you can try on at home. And you keep the things that you like and the things you don't like, you just send back. I've gotten some really nice quality pieces that fit me really well from getting my clothes that way. It can be pricey, but the nice thing about it is you can set the cadence that you want to receive boxes on. And as long as you remember, you can cancel a box before it ships if you're like not in a space Um, because they'll try to get you to sign up for like a monthly subscription and that's a little too rich for my blood. 
Um, but every few months I like to get a box and just get a couple of really nice pieces that fit really well. Hmm. Do you have any brands you like, Pam? Yeah, if I'm looking in store so I need something really quick, then I've been having decent luck at the Nordstrom rack that is near me, although it is hit and miss. Um, I really like they have this brand there called Abound, and I think technically it's juniors plus size. So like don't freak out if you have to size up one or two sizes too. Uh I know that that's like such a mind fuck and it really bothers me as well that women's sizes are so inconsistent. But yeah, I think that like the stuff is really cute and it's it's a little bit more trendy than some of the stuff that you might traditionally find in just women's plus size as well. So if you're looking for more trendy pieces, that might be a good one to look up. Um, I think that Nordstrom Rack has an online website too that I don't think they carry everything because it varies store to store, but they do a pretty good job curating that. And then I think for basics, like Old Navy is pretty good too. Although I did hear that they stopped carrying every size in store, which is such bullshit because they really made a push to make us believe that they were going to carry through 5X forever. But apparently all they do is lie. So Yeah. They made that huge size inclusive push. It was so good. And then I think their excuse was they said that people weren't buying the extended sizing enough. Yeah. It really sucks. It's just bullshit. And there's nothing more demoralizing than when you go into a store and they don't have your size displayed on the floor and you have to get someone to go get it for you from the back because that's where they keep Mm. your size. Like, the fucking worst. Yeah. And I heard some people have that experience. So Yeah, it's so embarrassing, too. It really is. Wait around. It's, It's hard enough to shop. Definitely if you're shopping in store, though, I think just like um, picking a good day, a good mental health day is sometimes, you know, the big difference between having the energy to go to just one more store, especially if you're a larger size and you know that most stores don't carry that stuff. So, yeah, it's also easier said than done. Um, And took me a really long time to get to the place where. I'm not really assigning value to the size on the tag mm-hmm. anymore. What's more important is that I'm getting something that's comfortable and fits me well and makes me happy. Um, because if you're maybe getting the wrong size because you're self-conscious about your true size, then you can end up with ill-fitting garments that actually don't make you feel good about yourself, right? So it, it's more important to get something that fits. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting to a point where you kind of disregard the number or the letter that's on that tag, um, it makes it a lot easier. Um, and our last question from our patrons is from Lola, who says, how do you deal with aging and the physical changes that come with it in a society that values youth so much? Hmm. Well, I think that I have dodged this bullet a little bit longer than maybe some other people. I don't think I look like 18 anymore, but I definitely, for one reason or another, like, I, you know, I have six, there's six of us siblings and nobody ever really pegs me for the oldest, which is pretty funny 
because I am. So I feel like I'm preserving fairly well, but I understand that even that mindset is also like a byproduct of what society pushes onto women, which is that it's not okay to age. I don't know. It is kind of scary. I'm always like really uh, worried about going gray specifically too and like having to start dyeing my hair. But I don't really know how like you stop that. I think you just kind of like reach a stage of acceptance after you stop freaking out about it. Like I definitely cried when my first gray hair popped up a couple of years ago. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, my hair's also gone through a lot of uh, changes. Like it's way curlier now than it was for a long time for like all of my 20s, mostly because I was straightening it, but also because like I had trained it to be straight. So I think that maybe that I, I kind of hope that embracing like the natural texture will hopefully go like a longer way in helping me embrace more gray. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, I got my first, I started getting my first grays after Trump got elected, which well, I that don't makes think, sense. I don't think that's a coincidence. <laughs> um, so I think I started getting those relatively young. I was like 26, 27. Um, and they, <laughs> Their presence has definitely increased. It's not something that's immediately visible if you're to look at me or like see me on camera. But if I start like going around the front of my hairline, you'll definitely see some silvery hairs poking through. I have a lot more of them now than I did when I got my first ones. And I don't care. (laughs) I just I don't. I think part of it is I've been dyeing my hair for such a long time that I feel like I'm going to dye my hair probably for the rest of my life in some capacity. And I'll probably try to find a way to play with the grays. When it comes to aging and sort of like the physical changes, I wonder if some of what Pam, you and I are talking about feeling kind of comfortable about leaning into you know, whatever it is our bodies are doing instead of trying to fight it. You know, I think a lot of that is a product of this generation and especially the generations younger than ours that aren't adhering so much to the body standards that were foisted upon us in the 90s and the early 2000s. I also think, too, the way that um, aging is depicted now is different. You see women in their 50s and 60s who just look like fucking goddesses now. Whereas when you look at older depictions, like older TV shows or movies showing middle-aged women, they looked significantly older than they were because of the way they were styled. Yeah, that's a great point. So I wonder if some of some of these depictions that we're seeing now are having an impact. You know, honestly, I feel like this is this would be a much more interesting conversation to have with um, Gen Z or even Gen Alpha, especially because skincare is so trendy right now. And I know my grandma always said it's never too early to start skincare. And I, I agree. I feel like I started late even with the religious sunscreen wearing. But, you know, nowadays you have like 18 year olds putting on retinol because retinol is so cheap and easy to get. And I, when I think about aging in that respect, I do, I am kind of concerned about like 
what that is going to be like long-term for them, having just grown up feeling like it's perfectly normal to have a 10-step skincare routine from like 18 onwards. Because skincare does help prevent certain signs of aging, but at some point it's going to catch up to you. Like you can't stay wrinkle-free forever without fillers and Botox, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's important to have realistic expectations whenever you are starting a new regimen like that, like that, like even, um, like, uh, like if you started, like, let's just say like you had some wrinkles on your forehead, you wanted to try and get rid of, and you were like our age, Laura's in my age. I think like even that the way the products are marketed makes women believe that spending $80 on a serum is going to magically clear those up. When in reality, it might mask it a little bit, but like once you have them, you have them. So you might as well just like learn how to embrace your face, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And honestly, a lot of those serums you can get at the drugstore and it's the mm-hmm. same stuff, like your hyaluronic acid, your vitamin C serum. You can get all of that at like CVS or Walgreens and you don't need to spend ridiculous amounts of money on it. It's the same shit. Um, I think that's a really good point. Pam, because I only got into a multi-step skincare routine in like the last five years, <laughs> to be honest. Before that, it was like Cetaphil. And that was all I did. Yeah. Um, and I only recently started using retinol, like within the last six months. Yeah. Um, all right. Wrapping us up for today, Pam and I just wanted to quickly chat about how excited we are about space as part of our female-centric episode of Millennial, particularly around the Artemis II mission. We had to talk about this because it was recently announced, the crew for Artemis II was recently announced. And um, among the crew is Christina Koch, um, who will be the first woman astronaut to fly around the moon on this mission coming up in 2024. Um, she will be serving as a mission specialist, um, but her resume, you know, definitely doesn't stop there. She um, was on the first ever all-female spacewalk team in 2019. So a really exciting step forward here. Another big first that we want to call out is um, Victor Glover is also on the crew. He'll be the pilot for the mission, and he will be the first Black man to fly around the moon. He also made history being the first Black man to serve as a crew member on the International Space Station. Mm -hmm. It's a great moment for diversity, because when you think about historical space missions, especially moon missions, it's all white men. And they were all primarily test pilots. Like none of them were engineers or or scientists, really. <laughs> yeah, I've been watching some of the interviews with the crew that's going up as part of this Artemis II. I don't know if you've seen some of those, but I just really love that one of the things that keeps popping up is that because they're going for all mankind, then they need to be representative of what that looks like. And it is so refreshing to see such a diverse crew going up to do something so monumental. Yeah, Justin is bringing up a great point in the Discord. They do have one crew member from Canada. And yeah. so it, it's like, you know, tech, an international mission just by way of that, too. And I think that that is really great, too, in terms of breeding, you know, 
good foreign diplomacy across borders. A hundred percent. I think NASA actually noted that it could have pursued this mission on its own, but they deliberately decided to make this an international effort Mm -hmm. in order to represent everyone. Um, For anyone who doesn't know um, what the Artemis II mission is, the mission, and this is from the New York Times, it is a major step in NASA's Artemis program to send astronauts back to the surface of the moon to explore the cold regions near the moon's south pole. Water ice found in deep, dark craters there could supply water and oxygen for future astronauts, as well as fuel for missions deeper into space. Humans have not ventured more than a few hundred miles off the planet since the return of Apollo 17, NASA's last moon mission in 1972. After Artemis's experience on the moon, NASA hopes to chart a path to putting humans on Mars, while scientists expect to use what is found there to answer questions about how the solar system formed. So really cool stuff, um, exciting stuff about potential further discoveries, learning more about the universe and why it is the way it is. Um, maybe proving some some of the things we learned in science class right or adding some additional context to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so crazy to me, too, that their plan is to use the water and ice there to propel even further. You know, it's just like that is something that I, I mean, I get that it's all science, but it's just I think it's cool that they can use you know, materials like that. It doesn't have to, you know, in addition to whatever tech they're bringing out there. Isn't one of the theories about the formation of the moon is that it was actually at one point part of Earth and it broke off after Earth got hit with an asteroid? I believe so because the, like, moons are just, like, moons are, I think they've discovered new moons within the last, you know, 10, 20 years or so, right? Mm -hmm. And moons are just, like, pieces of rock that have been pulled into the orbit, right? Yeah, it's it's really exciting and, you know, something to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. This is expected to be a 10-day mission scheduled for late 2024, so next year. Um, and for anyone who's wondering, okay, well, this is Artemis 2. What about Artemis 1? Um, Artemis 1 is something that happened. It was an uncrewed mission to test the new Orion astronaut capsule Prior to launching a crewed mission, you know, NASA and uh, other space agencies recognize that before they put people (laughs) in a space capsule, they want to test it to make sure that it works. Um, So Artemis 1 did spend two weeks orbiting the moon before it returned to Earth. And that mission was mostly smooth. So they're feeling really confident about it. There was more of Orion's heat shield that came off during the re-entry than expected, though it did still protect the capsule. So seems like, um, mm. you know, all signs are a go for Artemis too. But I wanted to just take a beat here to see if we had any other reactions to this news, whether about the scientific potential at play here or about the really big steps forward for diversity and representation that we're seeing amongst this crew. I just think it's so exciting because, you know, obviously we weren't around the first time they sent a crew to the moon. So that's something that our parents probably remember. I know that my mom 
uh, remembers watching the moon landing and stuff like that. And so I think it's really neat that we'll get to experience that as well. It's kind of one of those communal events where you just kind of know that everybody's going to be watching and waiting. And in addition to that, you know, we just got those incredible uh, photos from the telescope we talked about last year with one of our patrons. And I, I don't know, I know we don't cover a lot of space stuff, but it's just so fascinating to learn more about what's out there. I know that you share that passion with me too. Like I can't wrap my head around some of the stuff, but man, do I think it's, it's really oh, that, neat. That's the thing. I, I don't feel like I'm smart enough to understand the vast majority of this stuff, but I think it's fascinating and I'm just hungry to learn more about the universe, the way that it was formed the way that it continues expanding. Um, I, I just think it's so fascinating. I've always had a deep interest in space. I remember a few years ago when the International Space Station flew over and in certain parts of the United States, you could see it. Um, and we had a clear night here in Georgia and it passed right over. And I was just like, holy fuck, this is so cool. Like you could see it so clearly And to think about the fact that astronauts go and they spend months living on the International Space Station Mm -hmm. to prepare for missions and do research. It's just so exciting. I might have stood there in my driveway and screamed, take me with you, because it was 2020 and it was a really rough time. (laughs) But I thought kind of related to this, something that I wanted to ask you, Pam, was about dream jobs as children. And the reason I bring this up is because the first thing I ever wanted to be when I was a little kid was an astronaut. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I was obsessed and bound to determine I was going to become an astronaut. And then, you know, turned out that uh, math and science, not my strong suit. <laughs> More of a humanities gal. Isn't but that a huge blow? Kind of, kind of, yeah. But I, I still admire it from afar. I grew up in Orlando, Florida, actually, in my early childhood years. And on a clear day, I could watch the space shuttle take off from my bedroom window. So I think that was probably the influence. The space shuttle was like the earliest influencer in my life. What about you? What's What do you remember wanting to be when you were um, a kid? <laughs> this is not as renowned as an astronaut. And it's so funny in comparison. But one of the first things I remember wanting to be is a backup singer. So not even like the main singer, but just like a backup singer. And Honestly, I just thought they looked like they were having more fun back there. Like, you know, with the camaraderie and the choreographed dance moves in front of the microphones. They probably are having more fun. And also backup singers and backup dancers can make up for a lot of sins from the main act. Mm hmm. So I actually think that that's a good choice. Yeah. Don't sell yourself short. Shout out to my current career, because in second grade, I uh, dressed up as a reporter for career day. So I really manifested that for myself, which I think is really sweet. I'm proud of you. That's beautiful. (laughs) Do you have pictures? I have. uh, You know what? I might have one picture. If it's not like the picture from second grade, I know that I definitely have a picture dressed as a reporter. From one of like, I don't know if you like your county fair did this, but sometimes at like county fairs or special events, they would have like these fun interactive booths for kids. And one of the booths from when I was really young that I remember was like you could they would make like a 
like a trading card for you and you you could dress as like a correspondent from the local news station and so like it's like you know like they put me in like this big like winter coat and like a hat and they gave me a microphone to hold it's really cute I'll see if I can find it that is really cute no my county fair did not do things like that um it was it was more of a like deep fried pork rinds kind of vibe there but it was uh it was the south what can I say (laughs) well um I think that about wraps us up for this week's show Pam what do we have coming up in after dark today we have some more questions from the AMA that we vetted over on Patreon we saved all of the spicy questions for after dark (laughs) so get excited for those and then to like tie into this because Laura and I have talked about how we love to watch Love is Blind. We're going to be giving you all our predictions for which couples we think are actually going to say I do at the altar and which are not because the finale for this season is coming up later this week. So what better time to talk about this season than on After Dark today? Y'all, I got some shit to talk. Oh, I'm so excited. I love hate watching this show because the people are always trash, except for Lauren and Cameron from season one. They're like goals. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone else just leaves a lot to be desired. Well, in addition to this week's episode of After Dark, don't forget that we have a brand new executive producer tier level where you can get inside access to two of our planning meetings per month. You can listen to them live on Fridays or listen to them on Patreon after the fact. They go from anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes and are always pretty fun and interesting for people. Pam, we had a lot of fun on this last one planning out today's Barbie discussion and kind of reminiscing about some of those childhood stories that we ended up sharing. So this is a great way to get a sneak peek into what episode planning looks like on the show. And now I'm going to throw it over to you, Pam, to get us started on recommendations. I wanted to recommend the Raw Sugar Multi-Miracle Leave-In Conditioner and Heat Protectant. I recently picked this up at Target because I was looking for a new detangler and also something to protect my hair because I do diffuse it. And even though I diffuse it at a cool to medium heat, I'm always just like really paranoid about putting too much heat on my hair without that added protection. So I thought I would try this out and I really like it so far. It's uh, pretty lightweight, but I feel like it would work really well for all different hair types. Um, But lightweight specifically, if you have, you know, like wavier hair, even like looser waves than I do. Um, This is not going to like weigh your waves down. So that might be something to look into. It says that it's coconut and agave scented, but honestly, to me, it kind of smells like cucumber melon from like the nineties bath and body works line. Um, But yeah, this stuff is really, really nice. I don't really have to let it sit in my hair too long before it detangles and my comb goes through my hair like butter after I put it in. So I've really been enjoying it a lot. Awesome. Um, I I see we're on the same wavelength today in terms of like self-care products. Um, I want to recommend Lumi deodorant. It's a natural deodorant that I've actually been using for years at this point. 
I had trouble trying out some other natural deodorants because I just felt like they didn't really they didn't really get the job done. I felt like I was having to reapply them a lot more. Um, Lumi has up to 72 hours of odor protection, which I have found to be pretty on point. Not to say that I ever go 72 hours <laughs> without a shower, um, but it is definitely something where I can put it on in the morning and know very reliably that it's going to get me through the day. Um, they have scented and unscented as well as solid stick and cream formulas. It's also body safe, so you can use it anywhere on your body externally, like feet. Um, you know, some people use it on their groins and things like that. Anywhere where you can get a little stinky, um, it is a really, really good product, and I would recommend it if you're trying to cut out some of those nasty chemicals like aluminum that you get in regular deodorant. I'm about ready to actually, I, when I was putting my deodorant on today, I noticed that I'm really low. So maybe I'll pick this up. Do you, what scent do you use? Do you just use the unscented or? I like the coconut crush. The coconut crush. Okay. Yeah. But they have a, they have several different scents. Um, and their unscented works really well, too. I've never gotten anything from them that didn't work well. All right. Well, that takes us through the end of today's show. Uh, before we wrap, just wanted to make sure to say um, that you should make sure you're following the show in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave us a review in Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. Uh, you can also reach out to us by writing to millennialshow at gmail.com or use the contact form or the anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. From there, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. After Dark starts for a moment here for our patrons and Apple podcast subscribers, so stay tuned for that. We're going to go ahead and wrap up the main show here. Thanks, y'all, for tuning in and bearing with us on this Andrewless episode. We'll think about uncanceling him for next week. <laughs> I'm Laura. <laughs> and I'm Pamela. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.